Hey, welcome back to Pigeonal Hockey, where I don't claim to be a hockey expert, but simply an overzealous hockey fan that loves to play, watch, read, and talk about hockey. I'm your host, Chris, and today's special guest on this episode is the play-by-play announcer for the Northern Colorado Eagles out of the USPHL, Brendan Price. Brendan, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me once again. It's always a treat. I'm glad that we get to do this once every few months or so, and man, can you believe the offseason is halfway done now? We're halfway uh, there. No, I, I I can't, but I'm excited because I'm you know we're halfway to you know being ready to see some more uh, USPHL action, and I know we've been we've been chatting about it over Messenger, and I think we even briefly talked about it on a previous uh, recording. But the USPHL's expanded, and we have some ideas about that. But before we get into that, how you been? You know, it's been good. I keep busy in the offseason. I am doing play-by-play broadcasting for the Northern Colorado Owls, formerly the Orem Owls, in the Pioneer League. So it's a Major League Baseball uh, partner league this year. So got to keep the voice in shape. Got to stay fresh. It's a different sport, which is a good feel. It's a lot of fun. That's excellent. Yeah, I remember you telling me about that, and huge congratulations on that new opportunity. And how's the Owls season been going so far? Well, they're 22 games in, 11 and 11. They are on a three-game winning streak. They actually celebrated. I I celebrated Father's Day by calling a game yesterday, so they won 6-5. It got a little dicey there at the end against Grand Junction, um, but. You know, it's kind of interesting with the PBL is a lot of crossover just in terms of, you know, that division as it so happens. And some of the USPHL, Idaho Falls, obviously one of those expansion teams um, yes. in the USPHL. They play, they have a PBL team, so they play Grand Junction, which is kind of halfway between here and the Utah teams. So this Rocky Mountain region is really developing especially in minor league sports, junior hockey. It's really starting to hit a lot of these markets. And it's really, I think it's a really fun, unique time to be in this area. I agree. I mean, there's so much happening in the West right now in terms of just the development of sports. And of course, right now, the Colorado Avalanche are definitely sparking the interest of not only your your passionate hockey fans that don't lose interest, but your your fans that have been kind of casually watching, but now with with the Avalanche going so deep, and at this moment of this recording, two games up on Tampa Bay, really, really sparking some extra interest there in hockey. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a playoff run that really, I mean, it's, it's electrified the whole state. It's the first time the Avalanche have made the Stanley Cup Finals in two decades. And, you know, you think about on the media side, what's so different over the last two decades? I mean, you, you watch the game on cable— or you went. There wasn't, you know, the mass appeal of, of social media or the mass presence. And, you know, even yesterday at the Owls game um, on Father's Day, I mean, we were updating the score throughout the game for everyone there. And it, it is just really taken off. And I think if the Avalanche were able to finish it off, it will be a a championship parade like no other through the streets <laughs> of Denver. I can imagine, and I know, uh, I know Michelle Wells and one of our co-hosts here is just losing it right now with honestly just an incredible run by Colorado. And again, 
not sure how this is going to age by the time you listeners hear this, but uh, as I've seen several people point out, this is exactly uh, that's how Tampa Bay would write it up. <laughs> so yeah. I, think that's, I think that's some hope for Tampa. Oh, yeah. They're, they have plenty of room. I mean, they are not back-to-back defending Stanley Cup champions for nothing, right? Yeah. They've, yeah. they've been here before. They've climbed this mountain before. And you know what's in this at this stage in the playoffs? It's a whole different ballgame when you go from playing in front of the raucous home environment for two games to now having to go be in that environment as the visiting team. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's Tampa Bay is a chaotic place to play. The fans in Tampa, actually, I mean, when you it's a weird thing when you look at Florida, which is technically Miami, Miami versus Tampa. You look at the fan bases there, and of course, championships bring winners. This is, you know, Tampa's already had three Stanley Cups at this point, uh, with their first one, I think, back in 06, I think yep. was at that run. Yep. yep. And um, yeah, so the city's used to, and of course, now they call themselves Tampa Bay, which I don't know if Tampa's about to become the new Boston, but they've got at least another decade of irritating us for that to happen. Uh, sorry, Boston, you're just a city nobody wants to see win outside of Boston. But You look at the fan bases there, and Tampa right now is used to winning. The fans of Tampa are used to winning, and it's a a tough place to play. Yeah, I mean, they've done an excellent job at Amelie Arena really cultivating that environment. And, you know, one of the things that that organization has done so well is, you know, I remember once upon a time in an article long ago, you know, their, their front office talked about, you know, understanding, hey, we have a lot of transplants here in this area. It's Florida, right? A lot of people come here to retire. And originally their goal in expanding their base was we understand that we may not be the childhood team of a lot of people. You know, they've only only been in the league for 30 years. They're in a non-traditional market in Tampa Bay. And their their philosophy, their strategy was we want to make darn sure – that we are always their second team. The only time that that fans will not be rooting for the Lightning is if they're, you know, originally from upstate New York and the Sabres make their two trips a year down here. But otherwise that, we've got them locked in for 10, 15 home games plus the playoffs to be Lightning fans. And, I mean, you talk about Champa Bay and and developing that culture and, and that experience has been a really big thing for that organization. And yeah, having Stamkos and Kucherov, Hedman, Vasilevsky, that doesn't hurt either, right? In order to back-to-back no. cups. No, no, uh, winning back-to-back cups, especially, I mean, and I think it, it makes their, their, I guess their back-to-back Stanley Cups are so cool at this point because everyone remembers the season before that where they went in there, I think it's the President's Trophy champions and got swept by Columbus. And uh, I think everyone was kind of expecting that uh, the following year, and oof, did Tampa Bay deliver? Oh, I mean, they. I mean, you see comments from now Flyers head coach John Tortorella talking about how that awakened a monster, right? That that was the moment where the Lightning as an organization went, we cannot take anything for granted, and you know, in some ways, it almost the Avalanche this year have that feel. Right. They've been successful in the regular season over the past two or three years. They had a great regular season this year. 
They've consistently made that second round, get bounced, and it feels like this year they're finally saying, okay, we need to put the pedal to the metal across the board every night, 60 minutes every night, and the results show it. Yeah, I think the Colorado Avalanche might have the Pigeonhole Hockey host pick uh, curse working in their favor, as did the Rockets Hockey Club in the USPHL and the New Jersey Titans in the NAHL, where I picked against both of those teams every round, and they both became national champions. Now, Colorado, a little bit different feel. I picked against them three out of four rounds. I did pick them to win the second round. But, um, yeah, uh, I think uh, Colorado's getting that um, that national championship sort of Stanley Cup vibe that comes with uh, me picking against them. So, so what I'm hearing then is I'm going to need, once you get into the USPHL previews, I'm going to need an exceedingly <laughs> pessimistic view of of the Eagles for the season, so somebody yes. can snap that that two time division championship run the Outliers have going on right now. Yeah, so you know I'm definitely not going to pick against the Outliers at any point. I might take them to you know take everything, but we'll see how it all plays out for the Outliers. And you know what? Let's get into that USPHL action. Did you want to kind of start by quickly introducing some of the expansion teams throughout the league before we make it kind of into the West? Yeah, I mean, the USBHL this this offseason has been so busy and, you know, they've really done a great job at the premier level, um, especially of really trying to yes. develop um, more organizations to kind of even out, um, I think, some of the geographic areas that have been a little bit underserved or underdeveloped, I, I guess you could say. The Florida Division added a sixth team they get yep. the columbia infantry there's still some bouncing around in some of the other divisions the southeast division added the nashville spartans so both of those two southeast divisions get six teams now right they get up to an even amount another minnesota team jumps aboard in the midwest west the minnesota squatch after sasquatch i i'm still not sure how i feel about that name but hey if it works it works I like, it. Um, I like it. It's a good look, too. And, you know, out here, uh, arguably in the in the western part of the United States, the league has seen the most and the largest um, expansion. The Mountain Division adds a sixth team in Idaho Falls, um, the Spud Kings. The Pacific Division added a seventh team, bringing on the Bakersfield Roughnecks. And then I think the, the biggest move, this year is the addition of the Northwest Division in its entirety. The Vernal Oilers, the Road Valley Royals, who are going to be in Medford, the Rock Springs Prospectors, who just announced their head coach earlier this week for their inaugural run, and then a couple of familiar faces, at least, um, as far as previous league affiliation. The Bellingham Blazers and Seattle Totems will rejoin here in the Northwest Division, and uh, it is it is an exciting time for this league, especially out west. I mean, we've seen obviously the quality of the Mountain Division, the Pacific Division has really grown in leaps and bounds over the last two years, um, and then you'll add this Northwest Division with some really interesting organizations that have had a lot of community support in the past. Vernal had a good year in the Can-Am Junior League in its lone season there. They got a lot of community support out in eastern Utah. The Rogue Valley Royals in Medford, um, that rank always packs it in. 
new ownership there. It's just, it is a great time for this league in this area. Yeah, I, I was really excited with the expansion of the USPHL, specifically in the West, you know, and uh, it, it's great to see the teams that expanded out there, including like the Battle Creek Colonels. Our uh, former guest on this uh, podcast, Tristan Jensen, who was the head coach of the Rum River Mallards, who have now rebranded as the Asante Outlaws. Uh, he has now acquired a team, Battle Creek Colonels. We, we can't wait to see them perform this year. Very excited to see them hit the ice back near where he played college hockey. But out west, really excited for this huge expansion. And that's what kind of got my juices flowing one night. Me and you were chatting. And we're going to talk about your idea, uh, maybe kind of a restructure with how the USPHL could maybe relook at uh, the kind of current structure of the league because it has expanded to just a massive size. And, you know, I had some really good ideas. I spent several hours one night uh, working on them. And then, you know, <laughs> For some reason, throughout that sheet of paper, the huge sheet of paper I had with all these ideas written down and how I could break down the specifically the Western portion of the league. But fortunately, I did keep all my at least nationals ideas all together on one particular image that, uh, you know, I'll talk about on this and how I think the USPHO could restructure nationals to make sure there's a even distribution amongst the league so that the best teams compete for the you know national championship, which especially with the West increasing so large, I think, you know, national championship berth is even more important now than ever with what are we 73 teams now. So uh, yeah. to give teams an opportunity, especially if they're in a large division to advance onto the nationals, uh, I think it's important and to do it in a, you know, fun, intelligent, awesome hockey, you know, round robin or three game series sort of way. Yeah. And I mean, you, you talk about like that, that piece of things, right, is the league now is up to 10 divisions in total. You've got 16 spots at nationals. And so it really comes down to how do you how do you distribute those right equitably? I mean, we talk about with the addition of the Northwest Division out here in the Rocky Mountain and the Pacific regions. In total, you're up to 18 teams now. I mean, that's... That's a whole league in other that's, ways. That's a quarter of the league's representation at this level, right, playing in the Pacific or Mountain time zones. And when you think about, you know, that's a quarter of the league's representation. And, and at the moment, right, at the moment... Only three of those teams will make nationals. Well, that's 19% of those bids for 25% of the teams, right? So it's yeah. it's trying to find a way, you know, to to adjust that. And, you know, this is something that junior hockey leagues across the board in, in some respects struggle with, right? Like you think about the Null and the Southeast Division is known for being an absolute meat grinder because of the talent and – the amount of teams in that division that it takes to qualify for the playoffs to be eligible for yeah. uh, the Robertson Cup. And so it, it's not unique to the USPHL. It's really just a, a junior hockey structural thing that, that everyone has to work through. Yeah, and it's definitely not unique to the USPHL. And I mean, there's a lot of leagues making changes here. I mean, including the EHL who left USA Hockey. And uh, it's going to kind of, you know, govern the league the way they see best, too. That's a big change. Yeah. And that's one of those changes that, you know, again, it, it all trickles down and you'll see how that how that affects players 
my understanding, and I could be wrong here, my understanding, one of the things that will change now that the EHL is not necessarily under USA Hockey's purview is they don't have that import limit um, any longer, right? And that's something that the USPHL has used to, I would argue, at this at this tier three level, a little bit of a distinct recruiting advantage. I mean, you, I'm, I'm going to pick on on the Eagles, right? I mean, last season, really over the last two years since joining the USPHL, I mean, the Eagles have been really owing to to head coach Steve Haddon's exceptional recruiting, scouting relationships, everything. The Eagles and the Mountain Division have really been a great landing spot for very talented players from Quebec. Yes. Right? I mean, you look at Nicholas Sampson, Xavier Fortin, rookie Alexandre Pedard last year for the Eagles. I mean, just poking elsewhere around the division, right? Benjamin St. Ange comes to mind right away for the Bulls. They also had Felix Turcotte, right? So this has been that ability to not have those those limits on that import has been a really big boost for the USPHL out here. And it'll be interesting to see how the EHL tr- tries to transition into that model for next year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And, uh, you know, here at Pigeon Hockey, we are going to be following both the expansion Union Thunder as well as the New England Wolves uh, in the AHL this season. So that'll be exciting to watch those two teams throughout the year, as we will here with, you know, several of the teams in the USPHL and the NAHL. But let's see, do you want to kind of start with how you think the USPHL could restructure? Or do you want to kind of hear my natty, my natty talk? I, I, I think... I think the first thing that at least comes to mind for me is, you know, when you look at the divisional pieces and the travel, right? Because that's ultimately what a lot of the the restructure out here, especially where your road trips are much longer in the Pacific Mountain Northwest divisions. Um, that's what it boils down to a lot of the time. I would love to at minimum see Rock Springs in the mountain and swap out with Idaho Falls just from a travel standpoint, you stick Idaho Falls with Vernal, Medford, Bellingham, and Seattle um, to try and get Rock Springs with a little bit more of a, a geographic profile. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the flip side, ironically enough, is you look at that Northwest Division. Vernal and Rock Springs are essentially travel buddies, which works. Bellingham and Seattle are essentially travel buddies, which works. Idaho Falls and you know, is kind of the, the odd man out in terms of they don't really have a geographic fit in that regard. Yeah. I would love to see maybe Lake Tahoe slide into that Northwest division to even everybody out at six teams out West. Cause again, it's close enough to uh, Medford for sure that that drive is not, it's not awful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, I mean, Idaho Falls, it's about, what, a three-hour drive from Ogden, uh, just under, um, probably the bus, definitely around three hours, um, which means, you know, three and a half to to go to the outliers and four and a half for Provo. Uh, so they don't really have a short bus ride anywhere, but, yeah, it's, it's – uh, I like that idea of the kind of restructure, and I kind of had – all I can remember from my, my plan – was that you would have, and it sounds odd, but I think it could work, 
and to keep like Idaho Falls and Rock Springs in the Mountain Division and have a I know a three team division isn't the greatest thing you can come up with, but to have an agreement with the Pacific and the Mountain Divisions on specific teams, like if you do have a Provo Riverblades um, that uh, comes to an agreement with Seattle on the schedule that, okay, we're going to come up and visit your rink for three games. They come down and visit Provo for three games. And then maybe the Sabres out of San Diego do the same thing. And so, you know, and have a little more bulk of their games up against the, the local Bellingham team. So I think something along that lines could work. And I know it sounds super simplified right now, but I actually went down to the nitty gritty details of it on my sheet that I for some reason threw out. But I thought my idea worked pretty brilliantly and I seriously can't believe I, I threw it out. But, you know, but I like that idea. And I think because you mentioned the travel in the West is, I mean, I don't think the East Coast teams quite get it. I mean, it might be a little bit of a hike for like, I don't know. Well, I'm not sure. Where, the, where are the Florida Eels located? Are they Jacksonville? Oh, uh, no. I'm trying to think off the top of my head here. Um, they're in Fort Myers. Okay. But there's not a huge – I mean, even with the, the infantry coming into the league, they got Atlanta now and, and the infantry there. And that's still not a brutal drive. Nothing compared to, like you said, maybe a Pueblo visiting oh, Idaho well, Falls. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you look at – I think that is the one thing where, you know, that organization, the Spud Kings, um, I mean, they all have a brand new arena. They've done an excellent job with their season ticket base and their marketing already. I think it's going to be it's going to be an outstanding thing for the league and for the division to have them in the mountain. And, you know, it's an 11 hour ride from Idaho Falls to Pueblo. I mean, that is that in division trip that you're looking at. I mean, all of a sudden that's that's the kind of length that you look at teams in the mountain division historically that's the kind of travel they put in for a showcase yes right let alone a, a divisional a divisional matchup and you'll play everybody once i imagine idaho falls and the two colorado teams the eagles and the bulls will play once here once there and that'll be it um just with the balance uh, yeah. that's the other thing just realignment notwithstanding that i'm really excited about is you'll get a little bit more scheduling balance because, as you know, in the Mountain Division, there are years where you'll you'll play somebody twice and only play somebody once at home or, or vice versa. And so I think having now five opponents means that you'll see everybody once at home. I'll get you 15 games. You'll have to come up with five or six more. And depending on the travel and everything, you might see a little bit more intradivisional matchups especially for the Eagles and the Bulls in Colorado with the appearance of Vernal and Rock Springs, which are both relatively close geographically. I mean, the Utah teams historically have been able to play Lake Tahoe. They've been able to play Las Vegas. Um, They've done the California Showcase in mid-January, early February, right, because that travel is a little bit more palatable. So I'm really excited for that aspect of it. I think Again, selfishly, as as someone who who works with the Eagles, that's one of the areas that I'm really excited about this expansion is I think it opens up a lot more opportunities for scheduling diversity for NOCO and and Pueblo. Yeah, I agree. And I I think it's good for the I mean, it's 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 great for us hockey fans and those of you like you, the play by play announce for the Eagles, for those of you that work in hockey to 
to get a little bit more variety of teams that you know you can play. I, I can't wait to see the same opponents and develop that passionate dislike for each other, which makes the game so much better on the ice. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I think, again, one of the things that has been you've seen it develop over the last two or three years in the Mountain Division is, you know, all all five of these organizations now adding Idaho Falls. I mean, they came into the league together. I mean, it really was an all all of us or none of us setup. And and I think that, you know, even within those rivalries, you do see a lot of entertainment from the fans and a lot of mutual respect. I mean, yeah. last year, the final series of the year when Pueblo was here, right, the Eagles and, and the Bulls, their fans, those organizations, players, really been, I mean, it's an in-state rivalry. It's been intense. And, and you know, the series ended with you have Pueblo fans snapping photos with Quinn O'Reilly, right? And you had Eagle fans making sure that they were snapping photos or talking with the, the Ames family and Owen Ames, right? Because those are, I suppose, on the ice, two of those instigators and off the ice couldn't be better kids and everyone really just said, oh, yep, great series, great game. We'll see you all in the playoffs, right? Yeah. Um, and again, that's one of those things that I, I'm i excited for, that Northwest division expanding, particularly back into a couple of markets that at the junior hockey level have done really well. Um, I'm excited to see what they all bring to the league. You're going to get a Bakersfield-Fresno rivalry in the Central Valley now in the Pacific oh, yeah. division, which... Central Valley rivalries in hockey are awesome um, in in California. I can't imagine if there will be just a matter of time before a junior team hits the Stockton market, especially with the Heat now relocating back up to the Calgary area, the AHL affiliate, which they, they've had a, a passion for hockey in that market for over a decade. They've had an ECHL team, an AHL team, and, you know, adding a, a junior team to fill that that void. Seems like a natural fit. It, you know, it, it just it is such a great time to be a part of this league. And I, I know I've said it before on this podcast and really just looking ahead for next season. You just can't help but not get excited. No, I'm with you. I'm, I'm super, super, super stoked for this upcoming season. And I will be very likely stalking all the teams in the USPHL West this year. So if you're one of the teams in the USPHL West, we don't generally talk with feel free to reach out um, because I will probably at least tweet at each one of the teams every several weeks to remind them that I am watching and can't watch every game. So I'm hoping that teams will identify some amazing saves. I intend to try to watch every goal. It doesn't mean I'll watch every game, but I'll click on every game and at least go to the portions where you can see the goals and see if there's any outstanding goals in the West. But uh, can't really sit through all the games, so I'm going to be hoping that teams reach back with, okay, you got to catch, you know, Charles Anthony Barbeau's wild save here with two minutes left in the third period. It's it's incredible. Those are the things I need, you know, uh, anyone associated with the team, Brendan, uh, to kind of point out and uh, and highlight so that I can give the goalies, my fellow goalies, that love. Because, uh, like I said, I'll, I'll definitely be stalking the USPHL West. That's what I'm just going to call the Northwest Pacific and Mountain Divisions. With the, uh, again, another idea I kind of took from you with the uh, Mountain After Dark hashtag. I stuck with USPHL After Dark, referring to the entire West. Again, it's the, it's the side of North America that the East Coasters forget about as the sun goes down. 
and uh, we're here and we're playing hockey. And I'm telling you, man, I am stoked to see all these games this year to catch as much hockey as I can and to highlight just some outstanding players in the USPHL this year. You know, it is going to be a wild ride. And I mean, you talk about, right, some of those those players and I, I think about the Mountain Division and the thing that interests me the most heading into the season is who's going to take up the mantle as as the go-to guys in this division, right? I mean, you look at, for example, Pueblo, right? Benny St. Ange isn't there anymore. Felix Turcotte yeah. isn't there anymore. You look at Ogden, Kate Herrera's up in the NCDC with South Shore. He's not there anymore. You look at Utah, Garrett Alderman just committed to Ohio University. He's not there anymore. Nick Ertis is most likely not going to be there anymore. You look at the Eagles, right? Bailey Freifogel graduated. Braden Freifogel just signed um, with Melville in the SJ. Who's going to be the next guy that, that steps up scoring-wise there? And, and it's such a wide-open field right now in the Mountain Division because so many of those primary scorers from last season that you looked at and said, oh, these are the guys that that drove the bus aren't going to be there, right? Um, yeah. You know, your big-minute guys. I mean, Pueblo loses their top three scorers. St. Ange, Dicker, Turcotte, they're all – they're graduated. They're gone, right? The Eagles lose two of their top three scorers. Ethan Pittsman's going to play it for Donia State next year. Braden Freifogel, as we mentioned, he's going to be in the SJ. You go over to Ogden, right? Herrera's already committed up at the next level. Shmakov is is out of eligibility. Cameron Hawks is gone. Jack Jones is gone. Michael Heller is gone, right? So they have a lot of rebuilding to do, and, and that's not even touching Utah. Parker Williams is gone. Um, Jakob Saran, Trent Gephardt, a lot of those guys that have been mainstays for the outliers over the last two years, Helvis Rhodes Ice. They've all extinguished their eligibility. More than anything, this will be, what, our, our fourth year um, in the Mountain Division, and it is such a wide-open field this year, more so than any other year, I, I think. It is so wide open. Yeah, I think, uh, like you said, there's a lot of there's a lot of talent that moved on, and there's a lot of talent coming in, and I think that's why I think – I think a lot of teams are waiting for camps definitely to take a look at players, uh, identify talent that they want to sign this year. It has been really slow. I, I've been, again, stalking all the Western teams um, on Twitter. Uh, so if, if they're not posting it on Twitter, I'm really not aware of it. But, yeah, there hasn't been a ton of signings because I can just tell you in the last week, for anyone that listened on the last episode, I kind of announced the players that were already signed. Bakersfield hasn't signed anyone that I'm aware of this week. Bellingham looks like they've now signed Roman Wolnick, the 2005 out of Langley, British Columbia. He's a forward. Let's see here. Fresno hasn't signed anyone. Idaho hasn't signed anyone. Las Vegas hasn't signed anyone. Lake Tahoe, uh, Long Beach. Uh, Noco, you guys actually made a couple signings this week. Uh, you re-signed Evan Wamas, the 2002 out of Petrolia, Ontario, and Charles Nathan Barbeau, the goalie 2002 out of St. Remy, Quebec. So, Excited to see both of them return. Ogden hasn't signed anyone. Ontario hasn't. Provo's just kind of always dead silent. Rock Springs made a bunch of signings. As they, like you mentioned, they, they announced their coach. Uh, they announced their coaching staff. They've also signed five players, including, yeah. uh, and I'm going to slaughter some names here because that's what I'm good at. 
But Brody Hassau, the 2002 Chinese Taipei player out of Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, Keith Van Horn, another 2005 goalie out of Peterborough, Ontario. They got a defenseman, John Ergo, a 2002 out of Chicago. And then they signed two forwards, uh, Kyle Avery, a 2002 out of Brampton, Ontario, and Aiden Ma, a 2004 out of Canada. Rogue Valley, nothing. San Diego, nothing. Seattle, nothing. Utah's dead silent as well. And with Vernal, uh, they haven't signed anyone else this week either. So pretty slow week in terms of signings. Always excited to see the talent coming into the league. And can't wait to do that preview episode in in about, what, month and a half right yeah i mean it's it's coming up faster than we than we all know right i think some of those player sightings will start to heat up especially with the null draft in the books you've now got all your tier one tier two drafts and camps coming up and the drafts are done and you've got a few more tryout camps for the null and and elsewhere around i know bellingham is getting ready to hold their tryout camp as well out in the northwest division you know, everyone's still going to have their main camp in August. So it'll it'll pick up, I think, at a pace that we're not ready for. But, yeah, it, it has been a little bit slower on the signing front this year um, than it has yeah. been over the past couple of years. And I think part of that is due to junior hockey's really emerged fully now from that pandemic period yes. of the 1920-2021 year where – you just, as a player, you just needed to sign somewhere because you needed to get there, stay there, and not risk getting trapped at home, right? So yeah. I, I think with some of that normalcy back in that recruiting and signing process, we're seeing what feels like a delayed signing period. But if we really take it back four or five years, it wasn't. It just we have a comparative – we have apples to oranges now, and it feels slower than it's been. Yeah, and I actually did totally forget uh, two goalies, in fact, I totally just overlooked here, and actually a forward. But San Diego did actually make a couple signings this week. Uh, Herman Rendon-Scramo, the 2003 goalie out of Norway, and Zachary Johnston, the 2002 blue liner out of Kent, Washington, and Vernal also did sign a goalie this week. Jaden Shermers, the 2002 out of Trenton, Ontario. But yeah, I think uh, we will see players start to sign a little bit more frequently, especially as the camps move on. There's options. There's a lot of awesome teams coming into several of the leagues, and uh, I'm dude, I'm stoked. Hey, it, it is going to be here before we know it. I'm looking, like you said, I'm looking at the calendar two months before you start getting those main camps, the tryout camps prior to the year, and you know, this time three months from now, September, we'll have a regular season underway in the USPHL, and cannot wait. It is going to be a good year. No, it's going to be an excellent year. We do want to thank all of you listeners for tuning in. So be sure to follow us on Twitter at PHH Official to let us know what you think. And also be sure to comment and share any upcoming games or hockey news we should cover in a future podcast. This is the Pigeon Hockey Podcast with Chris and today's guest, the play-by-play announcer for the Northern Colorado Eagles out of the USPHL, Brendan Price. Thanks so much again for having me, Chris. It's always a pleasure. We'll have to do this again sometime. We'll bring Michelle back. Get the whole band, the whole Mountain Division together. Absolutely. We got to get uh, we got to try to find a way to get all of us on the same recording and definitely something we need to do leading into the 22-23 season. And that said, remember, listeners, always clear your crease.